Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Pablo, stepping up, baby. Pablo on the drums. Pablo said, I play guitar, I drum. P. Jason, if you need a pianist, I got you. We're going to just put all the instruments on Pablo at once, let him do a one-man band. That'll be awesome. Man, I am so uh, grateful to be with you guys each and every week. And, uh, man, I just want to say thank you uh, for coming out on Sunday for Youth in Action and, and representing and wearing your Excel gear. Um, man, there was such a joy in my heart seeing you guys. And I got really excited. I got really hyped up. And um, I know on Sunday we had announced that we were going to be doing apple picking, and we have everything set up for that. Unfortunately, as I was looking at the weather every day, I was monitoring it, praying that it would be good. Uh, unfortunately, it went from 50% chance of rain to 95% chance of rain and thunderstorms. And I don't know about y'all, I like apple picking, but I'm not trying to walk four feet deep in the mud and then all the apples, I just, I, it just wasn't going to be a good experience. And so uh, we didn't cancel it, we're postponing it. So we're just trying to figure out a date that works so that we can reschedule it. So if you're just now hearing about that, uh, we're trying to put this on together. It'll be about 15 bucks that covers transportation, uh, your lunch, and your uh, admission into the orchard. So we can go apple picking, go through a corn maze. And you know what, man? Just get out, enjoy the weather while we still got it. Because how many know, yo, we live in Chicago. It could be 75 today and negative 75 tomorrow, and I'm trying to enjoy as much of the outside as I possibly can. Amen? Okay, some of y'all with me. Um, we are in our last night of a series we've been in this month called Growing. Say growing with me. And uh, man, I've enjoyed this series. God's been laying out some really cool things, and uh, we've talked about growing up. You know, if you, if you missed any of them, you can watch them online on our Facebook, on our YouTube. And so growing up was just this idea that growing old is natural, but growing up is a choice. And at some point, you got to decide that you're going to grow up. Uh, we talked about growing together and, and the need for one another. Uh, we talked about uh, a, a number of different aspects that come into growing in our relationship with God and with each other. And I want to seal it all tonight with something uh, that I think is very vital and understanding why we do what we do. And tonight I want you to understand, and we're going to walk through the importance of growing the church. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Growing the church. Well, what do I mean by that? Because here's the problem sometimes, especially in youth ministry. You think the church is Sunday, and this is just youth ministry. But I need you to understand, the church is not a service during a time of the week. The church, as the Bible describes it, is the body of believers across the entire world. We are all part of the church. Now, we might be part of a local church here at Belmont Assembly, and even then, I need you to understand that Excel and Belma are not exclusive. I mean, we 100% depend on Belma, even with that apple orchard trip. Like, y'all are paying 15 bucks, but you're not covering everything. The church is covering a lot of that so that we can make it affordable for you to come, right? So we do a lot of those things to make sure that you have an opportunity to fellowship and to be with each other. But the reality is that the church as a whole is so much bigger than you and I. But we have a responsibility here in the local body, the local church, which is the avenue through which God uses to reach and to disciple people. We have a responsibility. There is a goal behind what God has called us to do. And our goal is to grow the church. And, and by growing the church, I don't mean adding a, a, a building addition and new walls and new facilities because that's just a building. The church is not brick and mortar. The church is people. 
We are the church. So if this building got hit by a tornado and something happened to it, God willing, nobody got hurt. But if the building was destroyed, the church would still be standing because we are the church. And so our responsibility as the church is to help foster an environment where the church can grow. I was watching a a little uh, video the other day. It was a, a little girl who was walking down the sidewalk with a plant on her head. And she was maybe like five years old, and the mom had brought in the comments when she found out that her plant was dying because it wasn't given enough sunlight, she was adamant to take it on a walk every day. And so she put the plant on her head and take it on a walk so we can get enough sun, right? She's creating an environment for it to grow. And our responsibility is to create an environment where the church can grow, okay? We can't save people because only Jesus Christ can save people. But we do create an environment where those who are saved can thrive and grow and become the people of God that he's called us to become. And so let me give you context to what I'm talking about. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Now, just to give you an understanding of how the Bible is laid out. In the first four books, first four books of the New Testament, those are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel means good news. It's the story of Jesus Christ, his birth, life, death, and resurrection, okay? So all four gospels give you that story from different perspectives and different things that are being pointed out. And then later on, you have all these books that are written to people and churches that have been established. Books like Thessalonians, written to a church in an area called Thessalonica. Books like Corinthians, written to the church in Corinth. Books like Romans, written to the church in Rome. It's kind of actually simple in that way. Okay, But between the epistles, those letters that are written to the church, and the gospels, you have a book called Acts, or Acts of the Apostles. That book is pivotal to understanding the birth of the church, how the church started and how it grew from obviously Jesus and his disciples to billions of people around the world. So Acts is very, very fruitful. And just to, again, give you context, Jesus in the Gospels, he dies for our sins. He three days later resurrects, conquers death once and for all, allows you and I now to have a relationship with him. And then you get into the beginning of Acts, and the Bible tells us that Jesus, after he resurrected, he showed up for a few, like a month or so, like hanging out with different people. Over 500 people saw him, talked with him. It wasn't like one person saw Jesus resurrected, and then the rumor spread, like He showed himself over and over again so that there was no doubt that Jesus conquered death. And then the Bible says that eventually he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit comes. The people of God, the disciples at that time, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They go out into the streets and start preaching the gospel to all these pilgrims that had come into town for a festival that was going on. And they're speaking the gospel in all these different languages that they didn't even know. And it's this powerful moment. And the Bible says that in that moment, they went from about 120 disciples, followers of Jesus, to 3,000. So imagine we're hanging out as a youth group, and we're like, hey, next week we're going to have a real special service. We want you to invite your friends. And 3,000 of your friends come, and all of them say yes to Jesus, get baptized that day. And now we got to call Pastor Carlos and be like, hey, um, we got to go start our own church because we outgrew you, bro. We just need to find a building. We need to find somewhere that can fit 3,000 teenagers. Like, that's insane. But that's what God did. So now you're looking at the birth of the church and you're looking at how the church grew and and maintained those people and even more people that continue to be added onto them. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. 
It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity." all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, listen to this, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Each day people were getting saved and added to the group. That is the goal, right? Verse 47 is the goal, to create a space where God can add and grow on us. We can't save anyone uh, in and of ourselves. It is the power of Jesus. It is the drawing of the Father. It is the relationship with God. He died for their sins. He resurrected and conquered death. We're just the messenger. We just tell them what Jesus did and give them an opportunity to decide whether or not they want to say yes to Jesus, right? But our responsibility then is to grow that. It's to create an environment where now that new believer, as the Bible describes you, a new creation can grow. My daughter is about a month old now, my new daughter, Olivia. She was born, but that wasn't the end of it because now we actually have to raise her. <laughs> so we went to the hospital to give birth to her, but we didn't stay at the hospital to raise her. Eventually, we had to bring her into a home where there was a, an environment that she could grow, where there's heat or air conditioning, depending on the weather, where there's clothes, where there's diapers, where there's stuff. To, we, we're not just going to like, we can't just give birth to Olivia, leave her in the corner of the couch and be like, man, I can't wait till you grow up. Like, there has to be an environment and attentiveness to make sure that my daughter not only grows, but grows healthy and strong. In the same way, we have a responsibility as the church that anytime somebody says yes to Jesus and wants to start a relationship with God, they are now part of this family, and we have a responsibility to grow the family. See, verse 47 tells you the goal. Verse 30, 42 gives you the method. How is it that they got to that place in that environment where Jesus was able to add to their number daily? Well, they were devoted to growing. They were devoted to growing in the apostles' teachings, in fellowship, in breaking bread, and in prayer. And I'm going to break down what that means so that we can understand the recipe that God has given us so that we can create a youth group where God can add to us daily. If you're taking notes, the first thing is this. They devoted themselves to growing in their relationship to Jesus. And growing in their relationship to Jesus. <laughs> this is the apostles' teachings. The apostles were the men who had walked and lived and were trained for the last three years with Jesus Christ. They gave the gospel message to these new believers, and they accepted the gospel message, not as the disciples' own words, but as the word of God. But again, Jesus is no longer there physically. So all the things that Jesus taught had now been passed on to the disciples, and it's their responsibility to train the new disciples, to teach these people about who Jesus is. And there was a dedication to Scripture. Well, how does that apply to you and me? When you get saved, there is no way that you can grow in your relationship with Jesus without being able to grow in your relationship to his word. If you don't know the word of God, I would argue you don't know God of the word. 
you might have an understanding or, or just a vague understanding of who Jesus is based on some of the things you catch while I'm preaching, if you're awake while I'm doing it. But you don't know Jesus, you just know about him. You will never fully know Jesus and have a real relationship with him until you pick up that Bible for yourself and begin to read about who Jesus is. Listen, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, this says it very plainly. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. Even though it wasn't on paper, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. This is talking about Jesus. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. So from the very beginning, we had the word of God. And I can't stress this enough. You will never grow spiritually and where you want to be spiritually in your relationship with God if you don't take the initiative at some point in your life to say, I'm going to study this word on my own. And again, don't, don't give me the, well, I don't understand it and the Bible is hard and I don't get all these things because that's not the excuse you're giving your teachers or unless you're failing every year. At some point, you pick up the material and you figure it out. <laughs> At some point, you study. At some point, you take extra effort. And if you do struggle with the subject, it's not like you can go to the teacher and be like, hey, listen, I just had a hard time with this, so if you could just give me a passing grade, we can move on and get out of each other's hair. <laughs> Teacher's like, well, you're going to do it again. And, oh, you failed that test, and you're going to fail the next one until you decide to pick up and study. And this is different because in school, there's a lot of things that you could slide with that you can cheat on, but you can't cheat God. If you don't know him, you don't know him. And if there's not even a desire to know him, if there's no desire to read his word, to understand who God is, then you will always live a life where you know of God, but you don't know him yourself. Listen, it goes a little deeper in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4 says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before, the gospel. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Well, how can you believe what the scripture said if you never read the scriptures? How can you understand who Jesus is if you never take the time to read, to understand it? And so a lot of us, we just kind of go through the motions and we come to church and we lift up our hands when we lift up our hands and we sing when we need to sing. But one of the most dangerous things to a Christian is biblical illiteracy, not understanding who you're even worshiping. And not understanding where you're with. That's why so many of you, your walk with God is so up and down. That's why it's super high at events and super low months after it. Because it's driven by hype. It's not driven by solid context in God's word. But when you take the time to really read it and study it and ask questions, and I'm kidding you not, you have more resources available to, to you today than ever before. And here's the insane paradox. The Bible is more accessible the ability to understand the Bible is more accessible than ever before. 
There is more information, podcasts, uh, YouTube videos, uh, devotionals, uh, online criteria materials. There is literally, there are things you can look up where they will verse by verse walk you through everything. And yet, we're also finding that this is the most biblically illiterate generation we've ever seen. So how is it that we have more access and understanding and ability to understand God's word and fewer and fewer people taking the time to do it? Well, I think the heart of that is your desire. You don't want to know God. And here's what the Bible says, that when you stand before him, he's going to say the same thing to you. Away from me. I never knew you because you never took the time to know me. But I said yes. Uh Uh-huh. You said yes to a relationship with me, but you never followed up on actually having a relationship with me. That would be like, that would be like in, in fourth grade, some boy or girl sends you a no and be like, I like you. Do you like me? Do you want to be my boyfriend? Do you want to be my girlfriend? Circle yes or no. And you being a dumb fourth grader are like, yes. And then 30 years later, they show up at your house with all these bags like, hey, yo, I'm trying to move in. Why? Well, you said yes 30 years ago. Remember on that little note I gave you? And you're like, boy, I ain't seen you in 30 years and you're ugly. No, no, no. We ain't doing this. <laughs> Well, what what do you think? You made a decision when you were in sixth grade here at Excel, but you never followed up on the relationship because you never took the time to know the one who desires to have a relationship with you. And there was nobody who could do it for you. You got to do it. This is why the church grew, because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So when someone new comes in and they ask you a question about God, and you're like, oh. And then they ask somebody else a question about God, and they're like, oh, no, no, ask the leader. Why would they want to know God if obviously you never wanted to? This is what fosters that environment. Number two, it's not just growing in the relationship with God's word and with Jesus, but it's growing in the relationship to the body of Christ itself. Remember, it talks about they were dedicated to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, fellowship is a fancy word we often kick around in church, but fellowship means we come together because we have things in common. Right? There, there are fellow things. These are things that have come together in harmony. And it's what I love about church, is that in church we are so different, and yet we share so much more that is powerful. We're different heights, different ethnicities, different genders, different backgrounds, different experiences, different everything. Again, there's no reason, you know, in a good, healthy way, that a 36-year-old man should be friends with 12-year-olds. Okay? But I consider you guys friends because of our commonality, what we brought together. And that's why in the church you can have jocks and nerds and you can have, you know, people that are really good at this and really bad at that. And we're all together in one boat. Why? Because of the fellowship we have with each other. We share the same Lord, Jesus. We share the same guide in life. We share the same love for God. We share the same desire to worship him. We share the same struggles. We share the same victories. We share the same job of living for him. We share the same joy of being able to communicate the gospel. Like we share these powerful common denominators and it brings such a bond and a closeness to each other. When you have something in common with somebody, there's this instant like, oh, Okay, I feel, I feel connected to you. You know, uh, I was just noticing Sal right now. He's, he's, he's rocking, is that Kakashi? He's rocking his Naruto Kakashi shirt. And there'll be times where I'll be at like camps or I'll be speaking somewhere else where I don't know a lot of people. And I'll see a kid wearing like an anime shirt. 
And, you know, Valerie makes fun of me for watching anime, but whatever, bro. That's just what we do. You're lame. We're mainstream. And so I'll see it, and I'll be like, yo, bro, you watch, you know, My Hero, or, oh, bro, have you checked out Tokyo Revengers? And we're just talking anime, and, and suddenly their eyes get really big, and they're like, dude, you too? And I'm like, oh, did we just become best friends? Yup. And then we just, there's this instant hug. Well, guess what? I get that in the body of Christ. By the grace of God, man, I've gotten to travel all over the world, and there is this instant connection, no matter what part of the world I find myself in. And you can ask some of the guys that I take with me. Like, we get so close, right? Like Sal, Gio, AJ, you guys have gone with me. We'll like hang out with somebody for a day, and we're just like best friends after that. Why? Because we have this beautiful thing in Jesus Christ that brings us together. It's the fellowship of believers. That's this power. And so all these different people, all these different backgrounds, they spoke all these different languages. 3,000 people from all over the world came together and became the church because of their love for Jesus. This is why it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love, good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as the day is approaching. This fellowship is the purpose behind why we gather every Thursday and Friday night so that we can grow together in our common bond. This is why we need you to be here every week. Not so that I'm not feeling salty speaking to just one person. I mean, that might be a little weird for me, but it's not about my ego. It's not about the leaders taking the time to be here and all that other stuff. It's about being here for each other. It's about understanding, listen, I am part of the family of God. And maybe today I don't feel like I need anything. Maybe, you know, I'm not falling apart and blah, blah, blah. But maybe the person sitting next to me needs me to encourage them and to love them and to be there with them and to pray over them and to call on the name of the Lord on their behalf and to just let them know somebody cares. That is what fellowship means. Some of you, you know, this past summer, you got to go uh, to summer camp with us, and, you know, maybe half of us caught COVID, but it is what it is, right? But we all went. And you know what the great part was, and, and I've always heard this, in the 12 years I've done ministry, I've always heard this after retreats, after camp, we got momentum coming up, which is a little retreat we're going to be doing in November. Why do we put such an emphasis on that? Because in three to five days, you go from friends to family. And it's not because you played all these dumb games with each other and not because you guys all slept in the same room and were like inhaling each other's farts, although that'll bring you close. There is a tightness when somebody blew up the bathroom and you got to use it after them. And you're like, okay, we're in that relationship now. But the real bond, man, let's be honest, it comes at those altars when we're worshiping God with each other, where we're laying hands on each other, we're praying for each other, where we're having conversations afterward about what God was doing and we're opening up about the things that we're going through and there is such a closeness and a tightness that's being dedicated to fellowship. But guess what? We could do that every week here if we just take the time to be consistent and to be committed and to make sure there's moments where you don't feel like being there but you think in your mind, no, 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 I gotta be there because so-and-so is waiting to see me. Because if I don't show up, so-and-so won't show up. And so what do we got to do in that case? Listen, and I'll get to this in a minute, but you got to be accountable to each other. Because this is your ministry, not mine. Third thing is this, if you're taking notes. We're growing in our relationship to Jesus through his word. We're growing in fellowship to the body of Christ and being here in small groups and in Excel. 
but we're also growing in our personal relationship to each other. It says that they had fellowship and the breaking of bread, sometimes um, being able to have communion together. Now, I'm going to save that for another sermon in regards to communion, but I do want to talk to you tonight about that breaking of bread. How is fellowship and breaking of bread different? Well, fellowship, like I mentioned, is what we do in services, what we do when we gather together in God's name. It's what we do as we're spurring each other on. But you know what? You grow the body of Christ when you get together and you have fun with each other. There is something special about sharing a meal with someone. It's what we do on special occasions with family. I don't know about y'all, but man, Thanksgiving is my absolute favorite holiday because it's food and family, and I don't got to buy presents for nobody. Like, we just sitting there, we eating it up. You know I got to eat two, three times, too. I got to space myself out. So some families are like, well, we're all going to eat at six. I'm like, six? That's only one meal. Yo, no, no, no. We start at, like, morning meal. I got a little pregame meal. Then I got my 2 o'clock big meal. Then I got my 4 o'clock bigger meal. Then I got my late night snack. I am sad by the end of that night. That is a terrible day in regards to food. But I love it. And it's not just because of what I'm eating, it's because of who I'm eating with. I love being with my whole family. It's what we do. We break bread in relationships with our family, when we go on dates, when, when we're hanging out with our friends, because what? We build intimacy in acts like that. There's this closeness and bond. Think about it like this. There's a difference between classmates and friends from school. There's a difference between classmates and friends from school. Classmates, their relationship to you is limited to the classroom. You know their name, and that's about it. And you know that they're in your class. So somebody will be like, oh, man, you know Sal? It's like, um, I think I got biology with him. That's a classmate. I actually had this thing when I first went to high school. My, my, obviously, many of you know my, my birth name, my legal name is Jose, but that's also the name of like 50 billion people on the planet. And so every Jose goes by a different name. And so my family has always called me Joey, and the friends in my neighborhood have always called me Joey. So growing up in school and in grade school, they called me Jose because that's what the teacher had on her paper. Everybody called me Jose. When I got to high school, there was a mix of friends from school and friends from the neighborhood. And so one day there was these two girls arguing because one was calling out to me, Jose, and the other one was calling out to me, Joey. I had it like that. And so here these two girls are arguing. They're like, no, his name's Jose. She's like, no, his name is Joey. So they came up to you like, what's your name? And I'm like, no, I'm kidding. I was like, um, and I had to decide in that moment, what's my name going to be? I said, my name is Joey. Now here's what I started to realize after a few years. The people who called me Jose, I didn't have a close relationship with. Because they only called me Jose because that's the only way they knew my name because that's what the teacher called me. The people who called me Joey, I consider friends. Oh, again, what, what does that have to do with all of this? What it has to do is this. God is saying for us to grow as a church, our relationship with each other needs to go beyond our time at church. Because some of y'all are just people that go to excel together while other of you you have friends at church. How do you create friends at church? You become friends outside of church. That means when you got a birthday party, if you notice that at your birthday party you only invited people that don't go to church, that means you don't really have friends here. And I'm not saying that to be mean, but what I am saying, and we've talked about this a number of times, I want my closest relationships to be close to God. And if the people I'm closest to aren't close to God, neither am I. 
right? If the people I'm closest to are not close to God, neither am I. And so I want to make sure, not to say I don't have friends all over, because I, I still got unbelieving friends, and God has called us to build those relationships. But at the same time, my closest relationships have to be with the people of God, because that's who I want to have a great relationship with. And so I want advice from godly people. I want encouragement from godly people. I, when I'm not doing right, I want the godly people to call me out on it. And so I want to encourage you. This is a responsibility that you and I have to build relationships that are not superficial based on just what you have here. Build relationships where you say, hey, me and my family, we're going to be going to Wisconsin Dells. And my dad said, I can bring a friend. Do you want to go with me? Yeah, I'll go with you. Building relationships where, hey, Sunday after church, we're going to go out to eat. Do you want to go out with us? Hey, Thursday after Excel, we're going to go to Michoacana. We're going to get some paletas. Do you want to go hang out? Hey, listen, the, you know, the new Marvel movie is coming out. Do you guys want to all get together? Maybe we can get our small group together. We don't even have to bother our leaders. We can just get together and go watch a small group as, as a small group. That's, that's real friendships that are being built up. Listen, Romans 12, verse 9 through 3. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. What is he saying? He's saying, guys, if you're going to be the church, you've got to love each other for real. Because here's what's going to happen. If I'm new and I show up here and y'all don't like each other, why would I want to be a part of this? If I'm a teenager and one of my friends brought me and I realize that me and my friend, we're only friends with each other because my friend is not friends with anybody else here, it's not like I'm trying to be part of that group. But I don't know about y'all, I used to have this. You ever like gone to a friend's family reunion and the whole family treats you like a cousin? And all of a sudden you're like, yo, that's family to me, right? Why? Because they treated me like family. I remember one time I had a best friend, and he had a big family, and they'd have these, like, big Mexican parties, and I'd show up at their house, and everybody thought I was a cousin because I was always there. And their uncle had this thing, I don't know why, I guess it was just their family, where when he would greet people, he'd put his hand out like that. And the nieces and nephews would take the hand and put it to their forehead. So they're all lined up, and I'm, like, happened to be in the line accidentally. I'm just hanging out with my friends. And he's going one by one, and he gets to me, and I'm like... I'm not, I'm not with that. <laughs> You're not my king or whatever, bro. I'll shake your hand. But they treated me like family. Why did I always want to be there? Because I always felt like family. If we don't love each other, we can't love people that come in the door. And if we don't fellowship with each other, how are we going to invite other people to fellowship with us outside of church? Are you feeling me today? Because here's what you got to understand. A lot of people who are saying yes to Jesus are saying no to an old life. And they're abandoning a lot of the key relationships that they have. If they're abandoning those and they don't find new ones in you, eventually they go back to the old relationships. But listen, I like that Paul sneaks in that hate what is wrong part. Because if we gather together outside of church just to do things we're not supposed to do, we're not growing the church, we're hurting the church. If you gather together outside, hey, we're all going to go watch a movie, and then right before the movie, all of you are smoking a blunt, and that new believer shows up, they're going to start thinking, wait a minute. Yesterday, you were lifting your hands in worship, and, and right now, you're, you're drinking, and you're getting high. 
I thought this God thing, like now you've hurt them. No, when we gather together outside of church, we gather together with God still in the room. It's like we're here, except we're playing video games. We're having fun. We're eating a meal. If I could take a step further, upperclassmen, those of you 16, 17, 18, listen to me right now. Especially those of you who have been walking with God for a long time. I'm putting the pressure on you to do this. I'm putting the pressure on you to take the responsibility to make sure that there's fellowship happening outside of these walls. It can't be us trying to put it together for you. That's like your mom setting up a play date for you. It's really awkward. You might even like to hang out with that person, but hey, my mom called your mom and said I can come. It's like when your cousin shows up and says, your mom said I can play in your room. And you're like, oh, Jesus. It's awkward. Upperclassmen, I'm calling you out to lead the effort in outside connection. To look for the ones who haven't been around and reach out. To create opportunities for people to get together outside of the church. To get out of your way to connect with students who have drifted away or are alone. You're the big brothers and sisters in this room. I'm needing you and I'm calling you out. Be who God called you to be. Create an environment, not just in here, but outside of here, where people feel like they can connect. And don't just pick the three or four people you always hang out with. Go out of your way to reach out to somebody who maybe has never had an opportunity to chill. Because here's what's funny. You guys don't do it on your own, but after you come back from breakaway or retreats or summer camp, all of a sudden you want to hang out. Why? Because we forced you in a room for five days. Well, why do we got to force you when you can go out of your way to do it yourself? There's one more thing, and then we'll get ready to close. They dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. And it says that they dedicated themselves to prayer. Prayer is, is a pivotal aspect to this. Prayer is what draws you close to God. It, it's that intimacy and that relationship with God. We want to be a praying church. God called us to be a praying church. One that's reliant on God. One that is close to God. One that trusts in God. One of the things I often tell the leaders, and students, you may not know this, but one of the challenges I often give the leaders is I tell them, ask yourself this question when it comes to the students. Are you spending more time praying for them or giving them advice? The answer to that tells you whose strength you're relying on to lead them. I'm not smart enough. None of the leaders in this room are good enough to lead you outside of prayer. We are desperate for the presence of God to be in this room. When lives are saved, it's because God made it happen. If if things go on, anything good that happens in this room is a result of the prayer that has been brought forth. Why do you think we start every week with pre-service prayer? Because it's a preparation of your heart. It's getting yourself in a place that's ready to receive. It's preparing the atmosphere in the room for what God is going to do. It's praying for those who are walking in with a hard heart, who don't want to receive anything, and asking the Holy Spirit, would you soften their heart throughout the night? Prayer is at the pivotal aspect of everything. When you read the the New Testament, everything after the the Gospels, particularly in the epistles and in Acts, over and over again, the people of God are being called on to to pray. Pray, pray for this, pray for that, pray for me, pray for this situation. Never stop praying. Listen, matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus. 
Actually, I missed a verse right before that. But it says, pray without ceasing. I love that it says, pray without ceasing. Because sometimes we think prayer is, is something we do in a certain time in a certain place. But when you realize that you can pray and never stop praying, what does that mean? It means I called God and I never hung up. So every time I need to talk to him, I don't got to wait for the phone to ring. That's, that's praying without ceasing. That means I can pray with my eyes open. That means I can pray in the shower. That means I can pray when I'm hanging out with people. That means I can pray in the middle of the session. Why? Because it's my soul talking to God. I can pray in any situation at any point. Prayer is not just asking God for things. Prayer is being in communion with God. Think about it, man. Some of your best relationships, you sit around next to each other and you don't even talk. You're just with each other. Well, prayer is being with God. It's having that time where your heart draws closer to him and it's making sure that you have that opportunity to draw in. We want to be a people who pray so that nobody is mistaken here. I don't want any of the credit. The leaders don't deserve any of the credit. You don't deserve any of the credit. God gets all the glory. Why? Because it's a result of what we prayed for. Listen, if, if we want to see Excel grow, it's got to start with prayer. We got to come in here every week and pray, God, would you bring in people who need to know you? Would you help us to create an environment where they can thrive and grow? Would you help us to love them through the process and through the highs and the lows? God, we need to be your church, but we need your help to do it. Prayer keeps you dependent on God. And when God shows up, it's how we give God glory in it. Amen? Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. Our goal as believers is to grow the church. This is why we show up. If we're not here to grow the church, we're not a church. We're an after-schools program. God has called us to grow the church, meaning create an opportunity in an environment where people will come, where you invite your friends, or you even outside of there, you can be in the lunchroom, you can tell your friend, hey, do you want to accept Jesus? And you can walk them through that right then and there. But then here is where we foster that growth. Here is where we create discipleship opportunities and we get them to be who God called them to be. We just walk through some of the roles that we play in that. But let me just close with the why. Okay? We know what the what is and we know the how. What is build, growing the church? How? We just walk through it. Let me tell you why. Because I think a lot of times the reason we don't do something is because we don't understand why we need to do it. And I think if you understood the heart of this, maybe you'd be more passionate about doing it. I need you to understand Jesus' attitude towards the church, how Jesus feels about the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, Jesus is, is given an illustration to men on how they are to treat their wives. And I can get into a whole other sermon about that, but I want you to use I want you to notice what he uses as his illustration. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. How does Christ feel about the church? Jesus Christ loves the church. So much so that he died for the church. And I feel like more and more today, even among Christians, 
It's open season on mocking the church, on criticizing the church, on talking bad about the church. Oh, the church is this and the church is that. And that's not the church. That's people. The church is without blame and fault. The church is the institution that God loved and Christ died for. And here's what I love about this illustration. Jesus gave his life for the church. And, and in a few other scriptures, it even talks about the church being the bride. Jesus doesn't just like the church. Jesus married the church. That's a commitment. And I don't want to badmouth the church. Because as much as I love you, if you talk crap about my wife, we got issues. If you start coming at me about Sicily, I say, hey, listen, I don't care what Sicily did to you. That's my wife. <laughs> and you and I, now we got issues. Oh, well, she talked bad. You probably deserved it. I will always defend my wife. <laughs> Even after, I'd be like, you were wrong for that, but I got your back, babe. <laughs> so how am I going to talk bad about God's wife? How am I going to disrespect his bride? No, no, no. Opposite. If I really love my Lord, if I really have a heart for Jesus, then I have to have a heart for his church. I, it has to matter to me. Jesus Christ loved the church. He's committed to the church. And what matters to Jesus matters to me. I, Pastor Joey, I can tell you for a fact, I love the church. It's honestly why I'm a pastor. The church stole my heart. And do I see the, the good and the ugly and the you know, ups and downs? Yeah, who cares? I still love her. I love the church. And tonight I'm going to ask you to stand and, as we get ready to close. And I want to ask you one thing. Would you commit yourself to loving the church too? Would you commit yourself to saying, hey, I'm going to be committed and dedicated to loving the church what does that look like? That means I show up every Thursday and Friday. Even at nights when I don't feel like it. Why? Because I love the church. Man, when I was a teenager, I remember I was in football practice senior year, and I'd be nasty, sweaty, stanky, and I would literally take what we call bird baths. I would go to the McDonald's. I had some soap. I'd wash my armpits and, and areas that needed to get washed, and I showed up to church. I still smelled a little funky, but it just gave me more room to worship. <laughs> wow, I love the church. I look for opportunities to be here. I started my own small group. I just wanted to be with the church. And I wanted to see the church grow. So I brought all my friends that I can bring. Not because somebody put a gun to my head and forced me. Not because I was indoctrinated. But because I was in love. And when you're in love, you want people to know that same love. So I want to ask you, listen, over the next couple of months... We are strategically building some opportunities for you to bring your friends. And I know God's going to do his part. He will draw them in. And I pray that they'll have an opportunity and that their heart will respond and say yes to a relationship with Jesus. But if we don't prepare ourselves for, to receive that, then we'll have a lot of people who will say yes to a relationship, but we won't give them an opportunity to grow in that relationship because we dropped the ball on our part. We need to be the church if we're ever going to grow the church. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me and bow your head. I don't need you to raise your hand because this isn't for me. I need you to really believe in your heart. And if you are committing yourself to saying, Pastor Joey, I'm going to be here week in, week out. 
I'm going to look for opportunities to build relationships with people in this room, to hang out outside of the church. I'm going to dedicate myself to reading my Bible. Even if it's just reading three or four verses a day, I'm going to be consistent and growing in my understanding of who God is. And I'm going to dedicate in prayer because I understand God's love for the church is his love for me. And I want to love the church the way he loves me. If that's you, just agree with me in your heart as I pray. Heavenly Father, you see every single one of us. God, here we are representing your church. And God, we're so grateful that you are willing to give your life. We're so grateful that you are committed to us, God. We're so grateful for the love that you show us. And we're so grateful for the commission that you've given us, which is to go into all the world and make disciples. Lord, we know that you are the one who saved them. We know that you are the one who restores them. We know that you are the one who guides them and makes things happen. But God, I pray, would you help us to do our part as the church? God, I pray, would you help us as your church to take time and and the responsibility of knowing your word seriously, to be dedicated to our regular daily devotion, Lord. Father God, even if it's starting with the verse, God, that we take that baby step as we continue to grow in understanding exactly who you are because we'll never be able to bring anyone to you if we don't know you first. And Lord, I pray that we would also grow in our fellowship Every Thursday and Friday night, God, as we gather together, Lord, I pray that we would gather together, that we would cry for one another and pray over one another, worship with each other, celebrate with each other, be the church in that way, God. As we make sacrifices to raise money for our missionaries, as we go above and beyond to make sure that we can go to all these events and be a part of each other, help us to fellowship, God. Help us to meet outside of this room, Lord, to have fun with each other, to make memories with each other, to enjoy each other. And Lord, help us to pray, to lean on you for all the support that we so desperately need, to trust you for all the miracles that are going to be needed, to learn from you and be led by you, God, so that everything that's done at Excel, Lord, is done for your honor and for your glory. Father, we thank you because you've given us these few years to make an impact in a generation like we've never seen. And over the next several months, Lord, as you create opportunities, whether it's at Momentum, whether it's at events that we do here for our friends to get saved, whether it's bringing in guest speakers or or being a part of some outreach events, whatever it is, God, may it build your church and may it be a glory to your name. So, Lord, you see every heart that's committed. Help us to stay committed. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone here said? Amen. Come on, if you're with me, would you give God a big hand clap of praise? Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, just a reminder, we got small groups tomorrow. There's no break this season, so make sure that you're here for small groups. Stay committed. And do me a favor. If there's been some people that you used to see at Excel that you haven't seen in a while, reach out to them. Hit them up. Let them know you're thinking about them. Remind them to come back. And keep a watch out online. We're going to do our Apple Orchard theme. We're going to give you dates as soon as we got them. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow.